one of my Facebook ads is a quote from a reader that says, I'm angry, exclamation point. I haven't done shit since I discovered this series. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best-selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery suspense and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Everyone, and welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show with myself, Nicholas Harvey, and this fine young fellow I have here with me, Dougie Doug. What's up? What's up? How you doing, Nikki? Nikki and Dougie. <laughs> oh, my God. Or the Cinnamon Roll Heroes. That's what we are. So we're going to start today. Cinnamon Roll Hero. <laughs> that's your new name, huh? Someone just gave him that. Uh, who is it? Jillian Dodd, the, the uh, guest on our last show, has nicknamed him the Cinnamon Roll Hero. We'll start today with a listener question, which comes from Vernell Green from Arkansas. And she was asking, do you think about your stories all the time or just when you're sitting down to type? All the time. Easy, easy answer. There's, uh, it's very rare that, let's say, an hour passes of conscious time when I'm not thinking about it in some way, shape, or form. It's hard to escape them when you're in the midst of writing, especially at some points in the book, I find you get really embedded in there. And it's, you know, and I give my uh, chapters, um, if I write sequentially, which for the AJ series, I skip back and forth a lot with timelines. So sometimes I don't write perfectly sequentially, but I'm writing Nora Summer right now and it's sequential. So as I finish a chapter, I send it to my wife to read and um, she's working full-time too and busy and what have you, and we're always traveling and all that stuff. So, um, Sometimes she gets behind a few chapters and I'm like, have you read it yet? Have you read it yet? Have you read it yet? <laughs> yeah, I stopped asking. I stopped asking. I'm a royal my, pain in the ass. I think, I think mine, I gave her a bunch and she's, she's still working on Missing in the Keys because she also works full time. And then I'm giving her La Playa and so I know she's like way behind on all of this. Now I'm just like very slightly, I sent you some, did you get those? Yeah, yeah. Did you get that email? We know she got the email. The system isn't broken all of a sudden. They got the email. Can't really send your wife per my last email. (laughs) (laughs) Start off the next one with per my last email. Yeah, that'll get you. She'll be calling me to HR after that. So um. (laughs) Yeah, well, your wife is perfectly uh, situated to call you to HR. She called me to HR, yes. I would say yes. I think about it all the time. I think that if there's a few minutes of quiet time and I'm not doing something like watching TV or reading, and sometimes even then, something I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I wish I I had a thought of that. But if we're driving long distance and nobody's talking to me, because I'm always the one driving, my mind immediately turns to doing working through the storyline. Um, lately, we've been doing a lot of audiobooks in the car, so I, that's kind of slowed it down a little bit. But it does, like, if I get stuck on a story apart, a long drive, usually Ashley will go to sleep and I'm driving and I have that time in the car. I kind of think about what, what I need to do and I fixed a bunch of stories that, that way. But, but yeah, lay down in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. I'm like, oh, you know, I need to have Chase do this and run down the street. Or, or you know, I would be neat if I blew up a plane, you know. Hey, you know who thinks about his books all the time? Who's that? Adam Fuller. Our guest this week. (laughs) (laughs) I did a segue. (laughs) Okay. Very quick and witty of you. Wow. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm done for the day. Anyway, Adam Fuller, who writes under the pen, uh, several pen names, because he's uh, he has an 
epic fantasy in the works, but his main genre is crime fiction. And his Thomas Austin crime thrillers, which he writes under the pen name of Didi Back, are killing it in Amazon's uh, top mystery chart. So when I say killing it, I mean killing it. So uh, let's meet uh, Adam and chat with him about his uh, author journey. And now, welcome to the show, D.D. Black. Welcome, Adam. How are you, sir? Very good. Thanks for having me. So the first thing we should cover is the fact that you are a man of many names. Right. Yeah, I'm happy to go by Adam. That's my real name. But uh, my focus these days in my writing is on my pen name, D.D. Black, which is where I publish my mystery series. And previously, I wrote under the name A.C. Fuller. I wrote thrillers um, and some political thrillers conspiracy thrillers, journalism thrillers, that sort of stuff. Started afresh about a year ago with my D.D. Black pen name. Which is doing rather well. It's doing a lot better than I ever anticipated. I knew I was writing better books now. I knew I was writing books that have a really large market, kind of mainstream mystery crime novels without a lot of quirkiness or not really even in a subgenre. I mean, they're just the most mainstream crime novels you can get, I think. I knew they had a broader market. I didn't understand quite how well they would do. So that's been really phenomenal to see, actually. It's been an exciting year and has happened a lot faster than I anticipated. How long have you been writing is the big question. Like, this isn't your all-time career. What were you doing before and, and got you started into writing books? I did a few things before. Really, in my early 20s, I thought I wanted to write fiction, and I was dabbling in it. I wrote a couple screenplays that probably weren't very good. I was too nervous to even look back at them after I finished them. <laughs> Never edited them and <laughs> made them all the way there. Are they stuffed in a box like all of ours? Every one of us has one stuffed in a box that you pull out and you go, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, it's like my screenplays that I wrote in my mid-20s are like if you smush a spider under a book and you're afraid to pick up the book because it could still be alive and do some damage. <laughs> my screenplays are like that. Uh, if I click open the file, I may have, I may have to face the person I was when I was 24. They're probably not that bad. Only person who ever read them was my wife and she was very kind about them. Let's put it that way. She thought they were great. <laughs> so I did that for a bit. And then I, I went to journalism school and I ended up teaching journalism at NYU for a bit. I did some editing and some freelance reporting in New York City. So I thought maybe I'll be just like Hemingway and going to journalism instead of writing fiction right away. The best part of the training was writing stuff on a deadline and being productive even when you don't especially feel like it. Because in journalism, if you don't deliver 800 words on time, you're fired and you don't get paid. And so I really learned to treat my writing like that. So when I got serious about fiction writing, which was in my early 30s, about 10 years later, probably 2012, I got really serious about fiction writing. And I realized I actually had just gone to a funeral for one of my wife's cousins who was only 30 years old and died of a very rare disease with two young kids. And I got back from his funeral and I thought, God, I'm the same age as that guy, roughly. I was a few years older than him. And DJ was his name. And I just thought, well, I better get serious about writing fiction right now. Because if I don't, I really don't know if I'll wake up when I'm 60 and never have actually taken a shot at this for real. Because I just dabbled and, you know, like I said, never gone back to edit it, never really tried. So, yeah, I started my first novel then and I finished it about seven months later and spent about a year editing it. And eventually, very, one thing led to another. It came out maybe three years after I started it and um, things started rolling from there. Did you keep your uh, day job? I did. So for the first 
Um, I was teaching a small college, so sometimes I was teaching part-time and sometimes full-time. But I taught the first seven years or so of writing. I was writing a little more slowly than I am now. I was learning and I was still teaching either part-time or full-time. Just small English classes at a small college out here. They have a tribal college system out here near Seattle in the Pacific Northwest where there's um, small colleges on reservations that are mostly for tribal students. So I was an English teacher at one of these colleges, sort of like community college, but within a tribal college system rather than a state system. So I taught English there between full-time and part-time for about seven years. And then now I just write full-time. Your first book, was that the epic fantasy that you did? No, that was called The Anonymous Source, and it was uh, published under my A.C. Fuller name. And that book um, is still available. It was kind of a journalism thriller. So it was you know, about a journalist and um, a professor who get wrapped up in a big kind of media conspiracy after 9-11, not having to do with 9-11, but it actually starts on 9-11, and end up traveling to Hawaii and sort of this big financial media cover-up thing that they that involves various murders and they end up solving the crime. So that was I was going for a subgenre that I called media thrillers, which is not really a genre that you would find on Amazon or in a bookstore. Like tropical thrillers. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're writing tropical thrillers. You're not going to go to Barnes and Noble and say, show me the eight shelves of tropical thrillers or media thrillers. Authors have written books starring journalists solving crimes. Like that has existed, but it wasn't a whole subgenre. So those books did okay. I wrote five of those. I ended that series maybe in 2019 or so with The Last Journalist. And those books, you know, they're, they still sell a little bit. And, um, they were where I needed to start, I guess. I was more enmeshed in the journalism and media world at the time. But then, you know, now with my new DD Black books, they're a little more mainstream detective police procedural type books. And that's why you chose to do pen names, right? Because actually you have three pen names, uh, do you not? Well, two pen names and a real name. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a real name that I, until recently, was planning to publish my epic fantasy under my real name. One of the um, casualties of the success of this series, like a happy casualty, is that I haven't had time to finish my epic fantasy. So I have 800 pages of a novel and, um, and maps, and I have languages that I worked on with the guy who did the languages for Dune and Game of Thrones. So I have like an actual fantasy language. I have a credible map. I have 800 pages, and I don't have a finished novel. I would never show it to anyone in its current state. So that I was planning to put that under my real name, and that would be like I would do both, and that was wildly unrealistic. <laughs> um, it's one of those things. I'm still delusional about how much I can do and how fast I can do it. I don't know if you guys have ever said like, okay, I'll finish this book by November, and then the next book by December, and then it's like it just doesn't happen because life happens, and every writer listening, and probably every creative of any type listening has has experienced that. The casualty, like I said, has been this fantasy novel, which I was going to publish under under my real name. I actually think I have a new plan now. I, I think with the the way the DD Black pen name has taken off, I think I may just redo the fantasy a little bit and eventually release it under my DD Black name. I think that the momentum on that has just gone too far at this point. And even though it's a completely different genre, the way I write my epic fantasy, they are structured like mystery novels where it has a huge scale and lots of complexity, but there is a mystery thread running through it. I mean, right now you're dominating the mystery categories. I mean, I was looking, D.D. Black has, but all six books are in the top 10 of the mystery itself on Amazon. That's, that's pretty impressive. So 
How do you think that changed like from where you were with the uh, your first series that was more of a investigative journalist to pure mystery? And, and what do you think like the readers are expecting that you're giving them right off the bat? So that, you know, what's what's the magic you know pill that you've fed them? I made a few really specific changes with this series that I knew would work better for readers, but mostly because I think they would work better for me as a reader or a, a viewer. One was each book is an absolutely standalone mystery. So the main mystery is completely resolved, zero cliffhangers, 100% certainty by the end of the book, full stop. So that's each book is that. I did use a couple cliffhangers that were kind of annoying in my first few AC Fuller books that I would have been annoyed by as a reader. They weren't terrible, but they were just like, eh, I wouldn't do it the same way. The other thing is a more complex backstory for my main character that is going to take seven books to resolve. The seventh book is going to come out soon. It's going to resolve a big chunk of backstory. So that, and then sprinkling that in, in each book in a way that I think the magic is in sprinkling it in, in a way that makes people want to read the next book because it's intriguing but it does not feel like a cliffhanger or kind of an unsatisfied thing because the main mystery is so fully resolved. So in crime fiction, as you guys I'm sure have experienced many times, often the protagonist has some sort of tragic backstory. He's haunted or she is haunted by X, Y, or Z. If you've read enough back covers of the book, you know, it's Jack, whatever uh, is a handsome detective comma haunted by fill in the blank. In my case, his wife was murdered, my main character, when he was an NYPD detective. So that's a big unsolved crime in his life. So that runs through. And then I spent a little more time working on side characters that would be recurring throughout the series. And so the side characters matter a little bit more. The other people who work with the Kitsap Sheriff's Department, which is the department that my main character consults with. So I spent a little bit more time working on them and making them real or interpersonal stuff between them. So I, I guess I, I sprinkled a little bit more interpersonal drama in than I did with my other characters, thinking that assuming I was delivering a satisfying mystery that would hold up as a mystery, what else can I add to this to make it more appealing, to make it more compulsively readable, to also appeal to readers who don't like mysteries? And that's one of the things I've found, one of the reasons this series has taken off is that many people are reading them who don't read mystery novels in general. I think because of the characters, basically. So when you started this spin-off series, how many novels did you plan? You talked about a backstory arc for your uh, main character. How far out did you project that? I believed I would resolve that in the ninth book. And by about book five or six, I realized I'd it's coming to a head. I'm going to resolve it in book seven, although some big other things are going to open up. So I projected up to eight or nine books because I knew the series was going to work pretty well, at least. I didn't know how well it would work. And I'd written 20 or something books before this. So I, I knew that it was going to work in the market and it was going to do okay. But I planned it, yeah, so eight or nine books into the future and assuming it would go on much longer than that, but I would have to find some way to keep it going. And uh, now I'm introducing some new characters and all sorts of new drama. And um, I think that's what keeps me interested because I, I do like the mystery structure and, and solving crimes um, in the books. But it's the interpersonal drama that really kind of is the heart twist that I think keeps me interested and keeps readers interested. I was going to say in the new series that I'm planning, we'll find out because I'm doubling down on that. 
someone said, are you going like a Colleen Hoover route? And I don't know if any of your listeners read Colleen Hoover, but I mean, some of the interpersonal drama is completely next level over the top. So I'm, I'm not writing Colleen Hoover type books, but I'm going to write mysteries <laughs> with a little, little more sprinkle of interpersonal drama than is typical, I would say, in, in this sort of mystery and see if I can get away with that while also delivering a mystery that would be typical to the genre. So, um, so that kind of being said, what do you think other writers are getting wrong? Because mystery is so big as far as what people write in. And I've done mysteries. Um, Nick does mysteries as well. But what is it you think that a lot of people do wrong that, that kind of falls short? One thing I think I've learned, I'll say, that's made my writing better with this series than the last ones is the biggest thing I change in terms of my process is I don't start writing one of these books until I have the outline 100% done. There are about eight to 10,000 words, which is 30 pages, 40 pages, something like that. And they are not just outlines, but they are like a movie of the book where every detail, every setting, I have links to YouTube videos of settings. I have kind of how I want the scene to feel. So I have all that figured out before I write a single word in the book. And I think what that does, I used to struggle more and get writer's block because I didn't know what was going to happen next in the book. And I would get stuck for weeks that way. Now that I know what's going to happen, I spend way more time making sure the dialogue explodes off the page and the characters feel real. And the dialogue is less about advancing the plot and more about, I, I think just it feels a little more like real human beings than my other books did, if that makes sense. I think that frees me up from having to make decisions while I'm writing about what's going to happen next. And it's more, how can I make this explode off the page a little bit more than my other books? So maybe that has something to do with it. But I honestly don't really think I'm doing anything right that a lot of other people aren't, except I'm probably doing the marketing a little bit more effectively than a lot of writers are, which is just a whole other thing. Number one problem I actually see with a lot of my friends is just they're still using homemade covers or unprofessional covers for books, which drives me nuts because that's such, you know, that's an $89 fix. And when I see that and I know their book is solid, that just twists my heart because I'm like, okay, we could have, we could have put us on a lot of books for just a, a very small investment. Sometimes they ask me, how's this cover? And I'm like, I like the art, but it's not going to sell you any books. And then they, they do it anyway and wonder why their books don't sell. It's a bummer because with my original covers, my original books, I was really attached to them and they were nice artwork. The designer did a great job, except they were not good at selling books. They were just nice artwork. And so I had to change them to ones I actually liked a little bit less as artwork, but then my sales quadrupled and BookBub started accepting me, blah, blah, blah. So it's a tough one. I see that a lot. And, and a lot of times I see books, and that's just as good as my book. Why isn't it selling at all? And it's I look at the cover and it looks like a homemade kind of KDP kind of upload cover. And that's a bummer. So I think you stuck a dagger through Doug's heart when you went into the detail of plotting. He's slowly coming to the table on plotting a little bit more. And we're writing a series together. And so when you write together, you have to plot it out a little bit. Otherwise, you just keep throwing grenades at each other because <laughs> you get it back in like, what the hell? What happened here? Oh, yeah. You're not a plotter there, Doug? Well, actually, the book I'm writing right now, I completely plot it all the way out. I wait a second. I guarantee when Doug says he completely plotted it out, it was probably about the same as the first two paragraphs you write, Adam. Okay, and you're plotting. Probably you're plotting yes, journey. yeah. Okay, it probably <laughs> was. And so I have a, I have for each chapter, I broke it down into a spreadsheet. Each chapter has what I want to happen in the storyline. But then, while well, kind of like what you're saying, like right now, I'm working on 
each scene and then I try to figure out how to make it a little bit bigger. And, and I will veer off, like I came up with an idea for this chapter I'm right now, and I'm going to try to figure out how to make it because it, it turned out that the way I had plotted it didn't quite flow fast enough. So I wanted to boost it. I like a lot of action. So pretty much everything's got to be blowing up or something uh, on my so now I'm trying to figure out, oh, what's the most kind of crazy, insane thing that, that can he can do to, to get out of the situation. So That's always a good way to go. Yeah, for me, it was largely, I just used to really get stuck for long periods of time, right? Write, you know, the first quarter of the book and then get stuck. And for me, that would turn into, you know, a spiral of bad days and feeling crummy about not being productive. And so the biggest change I made was just forcing myself to do all the hard work up front, really. I mean, it's all hard work doing the hard decisions of like, what's going to happen with this character. I used to be able to trick myself into fudging it like, okay, well, I'll figure that out. It's going to be easy. And now if, if I just go chapter by chapter in my outline, I can kind of tell. And I, so I have what I call my generic outline, which is like, if you imagine the platonic form of a mystery novel with no actual specific content, I read enough and watched enough shows that I sort of created my own 48 chapter platonic form of an outline of like what needs to happen when, right? So you see those charts where it's like, there's a big twist at the halfway point or, you know, escalating action for the final two thirds and then plot beats, right? Right. Things like that. So I made my own version, but much, much more detailed. That's like four or 5,000 words where it's like specifically when certain clues come, when certain twists come. And then, so if I'm going off that when I do my outline, so I can really know for sure that, it's got enough stuff in it, enough twists, enough characters, enough conflict, and that before I start, I can feel pretty confident about it. And that's the outlines take me usually about 10 days of super intense focused work, um, but it's worth it because then the writing process is so much faster for me. And I just get stuck less than I used to. I still get stuck a lot, but it used to be bad for me. Now you need to market the Adam Fuller mystery project the way you can template yeah people have asked me to do that i just send it to my friends who are interested in it i'm going to be teaching it at the 20 books conference and i'm teaching it another place locally so something doug brought up earlier where he's um as he pants quite a bit but even when he outlines he starts he comes up with another idea and spins off do you give yourself that freedom you've got a very solid outline that's laid out chapter by chapter with a lot of detail do you find yourself like hey wait a second i kind of want to put this in here No, I never do that. In terms of the moments within a chapter, there'll be a lot of surprises, the type of dialogue. Because a lot of times the chapter will be, there'll be a chapter where there specifically isn't any action, where it's sort of like a downtime. And so I often won't have all the details of what they're talking about. And I'll do a lot of discovery. And then there'll be some twist at the end of the chapter that is planned. So I'll do some discovery that way. But no, I've, I've already done all that work and really interrogated it beforehand. I just don't start writing until I look at the outline and feel like this is publishable, ready to go, done. And it connects with all the other books in the series in the exact way I want it to. It has the same feel, the same pacing. So I don't even start it until then. And it's almost like I'm just, if you watched, you know, pick your favorite movie that you've seen 10 times. Let's say you watched it five times in a row over the course of four days, three days. And then you were forced to write up kind of a summary of it in 8,000 words. And you could just like, type out the scenes. Okay, this happens and this happens. It's like that. And so by the time I actually start writing it, it's just like a movie I've watched in my head a bunch of times. But then what I find is what I can do is that 
in the individual scenes, I'm, I'm discovering lots of stuff like, oh, this thing in chapter 36 that the main character is experiencing does connect kind of philosophically to the serial killer in chapter two and what they're trying to prove with their serial killings. So there's like room for little moments and connections to happen. And I'm much better at seeing them on the writing the first draft now because I've already decided what's going to happen. And I know that the scene as a whole works and is in the right place. So it's definitely not for everyone to do it that way. It's made me a lot more productive. I, I was able to do six or seven books this year versus like my peak was two or three before and they're, they're doing much better. So it's, it's made me more productive, but I also get it would take the fun out of it for a lot of writers. For me though, the fun is the brainstorming process. If I could, if I could just, if I could just do the outlines, cause that's where all the fun is, the decisions, the drama, if I could do that and then just snap my fingers and have the book magic itself into existence, that would be fine. Um, but I mean, not really, but that's the fun and the discovery happens just at the previous stage for me rather than during the writing. Um, although there, there's some discovery, but it's more scene level rather than plot level. I've noticed that too, as I, as I am trying to learn to plot better and, and that I do find in each scene, while it doesn't veer from, I may adjust a little bit from the story just to kind of make things flow better, but it feels like there's some great things that I come up with dialogue or just in the scene that feels like you're able to work on a little bit more as opposed to work on the big thing, which is the whole story of where you're going next. So it's like being able to fine tune those details and, and work on keeping, keeping the car looking really nice and just working on that one little area as opposed to just trying to keep the car running. I think if I looked back at my old books, which I'd prefer not to do, but I think I would find more chapters where the characters are discussing what the book is about, sort of, like rather than being real people who are in an actual situation and the kind of visceral emotion or tension that would go with that or humor or whatever needs to happen in the scene. It's sort of like them figuring out what's happening in the plot, which is maybe not <laughs> the ideal thing for a, for a scene. And, and that's because I didn't know what was happening in the plot as the writer. And so even though I would go back and edit it and punch it up a little later, it may not, it just may still not be the ideal version of that chapter. And I can probably tell it a lot faster now. These books are a little shorter too. They're averaging more like 65,000 words versus, um, you know, 80 or 90, which is for readers, you know, maybe 240, 50 pages versus 300 pages and telling the same amount of story in that time. So I think that's part of the reason they're doing better as well. I think that's where both of ours kind of fall on those. And it seems to be the, the number that people like to, you know, it's as far as just the yeah. read time. So, so now with your different pen names, have you noticed a different personality as you kind of write? Do you dress differently when you go into your office? Does D.D. Black dress differently from A.C. Fuller? No, I mean, I, I pretty much am the same. I don't think it's any different. I, I think I don't really get into the persona much of being of having a pen name, although I don't know. It's sort of taken off in a way that maybe maybe I'll need to start doing that. It's more, I try to inhabit the whole series. And I know that readers are binging this series because I hear from them, many of them every single day. I read books one through six in the last five days. You know, I got fired because I was reading them at work or whatever. <laughs> you need to put a disclaimer on your covers of your book. This may cause you unemployment. <laughs> Yeah. One of my Facebook ads is a quote from a reader that says, I'm angry, exclamation point. I haven't done shit since I discovered this series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope I'm allowed to swear on podcasts. 
but anyway, what I try to keep in mind is I know that readers read a lot faster than we write. You know, we spend whatever For months, sure. years on a book oh, yeah. and they read it in six hours, eight hours. I mean, I've got people who are listening to the audiobooks at 1.5 speed. So a seven hour audiobook is down to, you know, 4.3 hours or something. And then they can listen to the whole series in, in two days that way, if they're the kind of person who is listening to 12 hours of audiobooks a day. So what I try to do is instead of ha- inhabiting the character of the pen name, I'm inhabiting the whole series and really trying to keep in mind as much as I can every moment that has happened between every character in the entire series, which I'm definitely not perfect at. But I try to do that so that when someone binges the whole series, it feels like one continuous world, one continuous flow, that the characters, the stories are resolved in each book, but the characters, I want them to feel like it's all happening in linear time and it's the same characters showing up in book seven and that they're even referring back to little interactions in book two or book three or little moments in book one are coming back in book seven. So I try to inhabit that and leave the persona out of it. I mean, I would just assume, you know, not exist as a persona and just do the books. I've been doing a lot more appearances and events for this pen name, but to me, the joy is in the writing of the books and the delivering of the stories that I, that people love. And the other part comes with it, and I'm happy to do it. In a way, I never wanted or expected I get recognized all the time out in public now. We live in a small area where it's not like getting recognized on the street in New York City. But it's also because I'm physically massive. I'm basically the size of Hagrid. <laughs> you are a big guy. Like, yeah. I like So I, 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 I like come up to his uh, like neck, or he's a good head above a me. tiny corgi around town and the corgi <laughs> the corgi is a star in the books so it's like there's not a lot of ambiguity about who's the massive guy who looks like a brooding writer who's walking a corgi he could be the serial killer described in book seven except he's smiling and has a corgi but before we go we have one more question we're going to do for you and i'm, I'm you know you may not have listened but we have a, a magic wheel that we spin so it's a random question that you get um and we mostly do it like because of the sound effects. So, um... all right. So, Adam, if you could pick your superpower, what would it be? Writing books faster. That's not a superpower. <laughs> My God, aim for the stars, lad. Honestly, I have so many books that I want to write. Assuming my family's healthy and relatively happy, it's just about the only thing I care about. I know it sounds like dramatic, but I live in constant frustration about how many books I have that I want to write that I haven't gotten to yet. And so I would take that over almost anything. Like if I could take the fantasy series I have in my head and make it into five epic novels and seven novellas, which is what I have planned, and get that done in the next three months as opposed to the next 10 years, I would give anything to do that. I would take any pill. I would shorten my life by 10 years to do it. I would do anything. So for me, that would be the best superpower. Your superpower should be cloning yourself and having mini-me's running around writing the uh, books for you. Just direct them. I would end up worrying the same amount if someone else was doing it as I worry now. And so it wouldn't probably save me much time. Uh, but probably I need a team of therapists to work with that on. We don't charge nearly as much as a therapist. And you're welcome okay, to good. like just... I just need to come back on weekly and eventually you guys will crack the code and have me work with some co-authors or something to get all these stories out. But Don't do it. It's terrible. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm working with this total asshole. It's terrible. 
we'll see if the podcast implodes in the next six months because of the tension caused by trying to write together. In all seriousness, I hope it goes really well. And thank you very much for coming on. This has been a joy. Yeah, really you've been great, it. Dad. I appreciate it. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Adam. So great to have uh, Adam Fuller on here with us. And wow, he's got some great, uh, great lessons there for someone like me who doesn't plot very well. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, it really was it's very good. I, enjoy, I enjoyed that a lot. So. I learned a lot. Yeah, really interesting guy. Great guy too. Super nice guy. Yeah, well, he's, he's huge. He, he talks about being big. Like he really does. He comes up like when I stand next to him, I'm, my head probably hits. Uh, his mid chest. You can kiss his nipples. I suppose I could. <laughs> <laughs> I had the visual. There was you with <laughs> with your cinnamon roll right there. Great, great. <laughs> Nobody is ever going to want to be on our show now. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. He's like <laughs> he's a good looking fella. He wears it all black. You know, he's got the corgi. <laughs> what what are you gonna bring a corgi into it for all right let's move on what's what's been exciting in your world oh apparently you sir apparently you <laughs> <laughs> i liven it up you did very well ah man i've been ah, i've been doing a, a lot of writing i'm in just dead in the middle of a book which you know that part where you're like oh, it's still a long way to go and oh, i've already been writing for a long time that's kind of where i am it's going well i mean the story's just moving great but but that's not really i want to show you my really good news for me which i haven't really told you about yet so this is news all around but uh i think as of today i actually dropped 51 pounds this summer i mean when we chat i only see your face but i can definitely see it in your face no question about it there's a couple of pounds that come out of your face <laughs> well, I have a big head, so. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, congratulations! And, and now, mate. now next week we want those those new pictures, but that's, uh, you still can't have them. So. <laughs> Come on, text me. <laughs> no, but no, it's really I've just you know been cutting back on what I kind of food I eat and doing a lot of swimming, uh, working out, that kind of thing. Good Even, man. Even like some water well aerobics in the way. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I see you in the water splashing around, doing the aerobics, <laughs> wow. getting it on. Do they know you talk like that in Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my news is I'm back in America, and America. Uh, with with uh, my wife's not, uh, yeah, not just America family, Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma, and uh, yeah, just across the border from Texas in Oklahoma. Across the Red River, where my uh, wife's lovely family are, so um, and uh, they're very kind. In, they've been storing our RV while we've been uh, away for six months out of the country. Um, so we've dusted it off, fired it up, and uh, fixed a couple of things that didn't want to work, having been idle for six six months. How was it? And you know, what problems did you run across? How many mice were hiding in your bed? Nothing too awful. No, so far we were dreading that it was going to be filled with bugs and mice or something. But so far we haven't come across uh, any. We had a couple of like those little hornet's nest things, that, those little clay-like things they build on the outside. So daubers, something about daubers they call them. Those are dirt daubers here in the south. Okay. We call them. Yeah, they I eat the spiders. Yeah, they eat spiders. They don't sting, but they could sting. They just don't sting. And they look like they, they should sting. They look like they should sting, and they actually can sting. But they don't. But they eat a lot of spiders and stuff. So 
they can sting, but they don't sting. So what's the psyche of a, a wasp thing that can sting but doesn't sting? I guarantee it will sting me. It has a choice. It has the ability, and it has some choice. And I'm allergic to bee stings, so you, I am guarantee they would sting me. My wife is too, and so, yeah, and she freaks out with them too, but I'm like, they don't sting. Uh, I mean, I've never, nobody I've ever known has been stung. I think they do have stingers, but they don't sting people. They're pretty docile. I can tell you two of them chased my ass around the motorhome after I knocked their little dobber house down. You power washed his house away. I knocked him I mean, with a broom handle, actually, but yeah, he was pretty, I mean, he, he somebody perturbed. a hundred times your size came in with a gigantic stick and started beating your RV, you might go out and chase at them too. Doesn't mean you're going to do anything to them. Just, you got to think about that. So <laughs> I'm still going to run away from the buggers. <laughs> they look like they should sting. All right. Our uh, next guest, uh, hopefully will be Kirsten Modlin. Now, our fault and then she had a rescheduling, so we've been threatening to have Kirsten on for uh, uh, several shows now, and she's been uh, wonderful in rearranging things and what have you. So hopefully or, we can uh, she is, align it. She is, or she's avoiding it. <laughs> I was going to say, like maybe she's uh, you know trying very strategically to not be around us. So I mean, after the way you talk, she's probably like, oh, you don't know. like any chance we had of her, like she's like, nah. Yeah, someone actually said, have you listened to those two guys? You sure you want to be on that show? So listen, but if you are, please remember to subscribe to our show. Uh, that always helps us a lot. And leave some reviews. We haven't seen any, you know, we see the people downloading and nobody's left any reviews for us, which that always, it makes Nick sad. Very sad. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to see him cry. And so, and then check out our show notes. Cool. Look for new episodes every two weeks. And until the next one, be cool to each other. And fair winds and following seas. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt.